Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. How are we doing, Brandon? Everything's good. It's yeah. a good day, yeah. It's, it's a good, good day. It's, um, it's, I, you know, it's good, I, good to be here in New Rochelle again. You know, I, was, I do have a New Rochelle story. Well, let's start with that. Can I start with that? Of course. Okay. Uh, Iona College is here, right? Only half a mile from here. So, uh, back in the 90s, the 1990s. <laughs> I'm thinking of <laughs> Got a lot of gray hair. 90s, you were the retired already. You were retired. I, get a, I get a call. I'm retired, and Clyde Frazier's retired. And, uh, and we're being represented by a guy named Erwin Wiener. Erwin Wiener, sure. And the company's Walt Frazier Enterprises. So we get a call, and uh, a guy is celebrating his 35th birthday, and his wife is calling and wants Clyde and I to come help him celebrate his birthday because we're his favorite players. And we both are at the same agency. So we work out the regonomics, and uh, we show up at Iona College, and we actually play basketball with him and his friends, okay? And he's a Wall Street guy at this time, and he's like a Wall Street juggernaut. So he's doing well. Um, but long story short, uh, I'm still friends with the guy today. Clyde is still friends with the guy today. I'm his daughter's godfather, right? And, uh, and it all started right here in New Rochelle. So that's I my New Rochelle that. story. Yep. We played basketball, and then they bought in pizza. Yeah. And we ate pizza. It was like me, Clyde, him, and seven of his friends. That's fun. Yeah. I don't remember the seven, but. That's <laughs> like every now and then, now we, we, we got to go to uh, Bill Russell's camp together. Yeah. And the highlight was, you know, playing one-on-one -on -one with him, which is not that much fun. Yeah, once you get into it, you realize, you know, it's very difficult. <laughs> but it was fun like that. that yeah. Not a lot of people showed up at that camp. So you had Magic yeah. and Kareem and Bill, and yeah. there were only like 20 of us. Yeah. Like, I know what that was, like a kid in a candy store. But, you know, yeah. I got to ask, first of all, how did you get, who named you Dr. J? How did that name come up? Uh, oh, I've, I've been Dr. J since uh, my first year with the Virginia Squires. Now, I was the doctor before I got to the Virginia Squires as a rookie, and that happened while I was in high school. I had a buddy who I call a professor, and he called me the doctor. His name was Leon Saunders, still one of my buddies down in Atlanta. We're golfing buddies, and he's still a professor. And to me, I'm still the doctor. But once I got to Virginia, they were calling the team physician Doc, and the trainer was Bob Travellini, and some people would call him Doc because he liked to bandage people up and whatever. So it was just too many doctors. So the, tra the trainer said, you're going to be Dr. J. And when they started to promote our team, uh, Charlie Scott was our best player. Charlie, and Charlie Scott. Scott from North Carolina. So they would list Charlie the Great Scott and featuring Julius Dr. J. Irving <laughs> and the Virginia Squires. So he had the marquee, and, and they put Dr. J up there, and, and it stuck ever since like, then. Like so you were one of those college that was a players. A lot of years ago. Like you were one of those college players that grabbed everyone's attention because they said you can go and grab a quarter on the top of the backboard. There was that rumor, and you had just yeah. incredible hops and everything else. But why UMass? Uh, 
Well, I went to UMass because, um, you know, I wanted to have a big campus experience. Uh, I wanted to go to a, a good school. I wanted to pursue my business degree. And when I came out of high school, I mean, I was 6'3 and a half, 160, 163 pounds. I played at that height and weight my senior year. And I was on the All Long Island team and won the Sid Colbert Award, which was the uh, best player in Nassau County. Um, but, I mean, I always thought of the pros, guys bigger, stronger, you know, and then that, was, that was a man's league and I was very much a boy. So when I chose, uh, when I chose UMass, I chose a place where I could play. And I didn't realize that the cafeteria was so good it was going to make me grow three inches and gain 30 pounds. <laughs> Did you really? I was grubbing. I mean, for the first time in my life, I was eating like three meals a day. College. That's funny you said. I was thinking the same thing. You know, when I went yeah, to school, I never had yeah, three meals yeah, a day. Three meals a day. Are you kidding? Three meals a day. But did you realize so, how good you were when you come in high school? Maybe did you not realize how good you were? No, no, no. I, I thought I was. I mean, I thought I was in the you know top two hundred or so because I really hadn't played against national or international competition. So I just had a real regional perspective. I played Long Island, played New York, and you know from my early years, uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but really didn't have a national perspective. And after my sophomore year of college, when I got involved with the Olympic Development Program, so in 1970, it was the Olympic Development Program, and uh, I got listed as an alternate, because I had a good year. I was like a 20 rebound, 20, 20 point guy. And, um, you know, but they still kind of looked at our conference, Yankee Conference, and said, yeah, you're not playing against anybody. I don't care if you're playing against your mother and your father. You get 20 rebounds and 20 points. You know, you did something, right? <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, went, I, I was signed up as an alternate. A couple of guys got hurt. So then they had me come out to Colorado. And long story short, I'd make the Olympic development team, lead the team in scoring and rebounding. And we go to Russia and we play 13 games. We win 10 out of 13 and uh, in Russia, Poland, and Finland. So then I was on the radar. That's what, after that my, after my sophomore year, and then after my junior year, I, I turned pro. So I actually was being developed for the 72 Olympics, which we lost, and uh, was one of the guys who didn't go because they didn't take pros then. Your biggest influence growing up, I mean, uh, when you think about it, you know, was it your mom, dad? Clearly my mom. I mean, my, my mother and father separated when I was three, then he died when I was nine. So he really wasn't a significant factor in, in my, my young life. My uncles were, and my mom was, uh, she was the influence to my the mother and father uh, figure. Um, and yeah, she's, she's first. I mean, you know, you always put God above anybody on the planet, so. Uh, so my spiritual uh, belief, which I got through my mother, and um, then I had mentors. I mean, I had uh, the guy who was my high school coach, Ray. Mr. Ray Wilson, yeah, who, who just passed uh, in September <coughs> at 83, and uh, Bill Russell, 
who I met when I was 19, and, uh, and who's still going strong, and who's still like a, you know, couple times a month call. I'll get a call from him, or I'll call him, and uh, and he was he was a great mentor to have, even though we have a lot of different views and philosophies about things. I think you everybody. Mentioned Bill Russell yeah, earlier, yeah, yeah, but 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 uh, that that's a precious relationship that you know I can't compare to anything else. I feel I feel horrible when I think about Bill Russell that so many people missed him. Besides the playing, you know, the brains, mm -hmm. uh, the thinking process, the way he approached team. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was no more of a team player. Yeah. Um, I don't think he won 10 championships by accident. Yeah, 11. <laughs> 11 and 13 11 years. Rings. 11 and 11 11 championships yeah. and 13 rings. And yeah. even though it was a different era, there's this picture right there with, with Will. Yeah. To get, um, really bright but, guy. Um, Oh, just a superhuman being, and and so principled and so valued. Lots of times, I always, you know, would challenge him, and say, you know, you trap yourself because you say you're never going to do something, and then you get to a point in life or a time where you should be doing it, but since you said you're never going to do it, <laughs> you're trapped. Yeah. And 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 he would be very inflexible um, during those times, and that's kind of been the story of his life. And why you know a lot of people look at him. Some people love him, and some people don't. You know, because uh, he's just um, uniquely different. And uh, to me, I mean, you know, he's he's. Uh, I mean, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Anytime I sit around, because you he starts opening his mouth and talking, and I'm sometimes so engrossed with listening to what he has to say, I don't have a response. And uh, that could happen tomorrow if he was sitting right here. And some people say that I've had that type of effect on some young athletes, and I got it from him. Definitely. Well, you were the guy. Got it from him because you, know, you didn't catch Bill, you know, early enough. But you know, young players or you know, players, you were their guy. I mean, you were the guy they emulated. You were the guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you wanted to play and, and be like you. You know, the, you know, and also there was a lot yeah. of class to the way you played. Yeah. You weren't a big. You were just, it just seemed like you are just gliding. You, how did you stay so even? It wasn't always even. <laughs> there, there, were, so, there, were, there were ups and downs. But you just able to, but, but I think able to hide me, it? Yeah, no, no, no. For or, me, I mean, I, I think you want to balance, you know, physical, spiritual, emotional. And um, I, I think you want to grow in, you know, all of the developmental areas uh, of your life. Uh, evenly if possible. So uh, sometimes you'll find somebody who just goes to the gym and they're a gym rat and they work out all the time and they build big muscles and uh, you know their whole energy is towards that physical performance. But I think to be uh, the complete package, and you use that term, you know, physical is only one part of your development. You know, and it's and it's not necessarily the most major part. So you, you have to develop yourself emotionally in terms of your relationships that you have, you know, with people, and obviously academically, your mental side, uh, becoming a student, a student of life, a student of academics, a, a, a school student, and, and, and uh, trying to, you know, grow as far, go as far as you can grow there. Do you think kids and are, then you your think kids spiritual are life is ongoing? I mean, you know, you will, Continue to learn more about your spirituality as as you go through this journey. A lot of, are a lot of young players in today good, great players, but are they missing some of that? 
because not staying in school long enough or missing some of that spiritual part of it? Uh, well, you know, the spiritual part is mostly private, except for the guys who are, you know, really pronounced and, you know, David Robinson type or whatever, who you know, everywhere yeah. he goes, he's bearing the cross wherever he goes because he's a strong Christian. And Bobby Jones, who was a teammate of mine, is always witnessing to all the other players. And, um, you know, so they're very outward in terms of their spirituality. And there's plenty of spiritual people in the league, some more outward than others. Um, and some kind of like just uh, their presence in certain situations just shows you that, like a Tim Duncan who's been around 19 seasons or 20 seasons, and you can see he's a very grounded person and he's well-rounded and balanced in terms of his approach to his profession and he's going to make a great transition afterwards and, you know, either do something here or do something back in, in uh, the Caribbean uh, where he's from that's going to be probably as significant as what he's done in basketball. So. I, it's, it's not for me to judge and say there's too much or too little of anything going on because unless you are sitting in someone's living room or wearing their shoes or yeah. interacting with them, going to dinner with them every now and then, you really don't know. That's true. You really don't know. Uh, and, and, and the economics have become such a dominant thing in, in pro sports right now is that a lot of things don't really get a chance to shine through because if a guy plays bad, he's making $20 million a year. You know, they're going to call him a bum and he needs to get his stuff together and whatever, and they might be insensitive to what happened the night before. And the night before, it could be domestic, it could be uh, legal, it could be whatever. I mean, uh, you know, everybody's human. Everybody's human. So you're going to have, you know, the off days, but... Um, you know, the economics of the league sometimes just overshadow Everything. the fact that, um, you know, many of the 19 and 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds, you know, would still be in college if it was back in the day. And some of the kids, I think, they just don't have enough chance to grow up. It's important to have a little time to grow up. grow up, up fast once you sign on that dotted line. They sure <laughs> do. Um, yep, yep. Give me, give me, we're going to do a Q&A, but give me your, uh, okay. outside of you, Give me your, you know, you're starting a team tomorrow. You can take anybody you want. Really? Anybody. anybody. Um, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna give you. Anybody? I'm gonna give you a couple extras there because it's so okay. hard to just pick five. So I'm gonna give you okay. your, you know, your. If top. I was starting a team tomorrow, yeah. I start with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as your center. Well, he could play any position he wants. <laughs> but, but, but I gotta have him on my team because I mean I think in terms of the history of the league. You know, I look at him as uh, the one who is the most accomplished, uh, night in and night out, had an influence on more players who are now Hall of Famers, most of them with the Lakers. And, uh, and obviously he played with uh, Oscar Robertson in, in Milwaukee, uh, who's a Hall of Famer, <coughs> and would have been with or without. But, you know, I mean, all of those guys, uh, Worthy, Magic, yep. and uh, Cooper, Byron Scott, um, you know, Jamal Wilkes, or whatever, they had better careers because he was their center, I think. No question. So you got uh, Kareem in the middle. You want to take a backup there? Yeah, Moses, Moses Malone would be my backup. Uh, <clears throat> and he might get more minutes some nights. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, you know, Moses, God rest his soul, we lost him in September as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would have to take him up. I okay. would put him there. And, you know, 
now I know I got the center position covered for minimally the next 20 years. Because scoring, you know, Moses played 22 seasons and Kareem played 21 seasons. So, so I'm off to a good start. <laughs> now, who are you going to take? <laughs> well, oh boy. It's I not mean, enough. It's not enough. You know, I mean, oh boy, it's not you enough. Know, Elijah, <laughs> you know, I got, I got to look at Elijah. I got to look at Chamberlain. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of great centers. But I like your two because you're thinking chemistry, you're thinking longevity, and you're also thinking, you know, the scoring power, but the toughness. All right, you got the same cover. And, and guys who make the other guys better. Yeah. I mean, Kareem, clearly, with his passing ability and his craftiness yep. and his intellect and his, you know, training, Powell Memorial, UCLA, or whatever, he came out of systems that were team-oriented. And uh, the only focus, the singular focus was, okay, we want to be the last one standing at the end of the, at the, end of the season. So... So you got that piece there too. Yeah. Who you got it forward? Uh, I'm going to give you four of them. Four forwards? Yeah, well, two and then two backups. Oh, we got backups? You got a four and a three. Well, my all-time favorite forward is Elgin Baylor. So he's got to be one of those four. Okay. All right? And, I'm not sure and then I'm going to appreciate and, Elgin. Can you give me like one? So Elgin Baylor... Uh, in the 60s when I would watch pro basketball. He played for the Lakers. So it was Chamberlain, Baylor, West. Yeah, they had Goodrich and uh, Happy Harrison or somebody. Then when they run 33 games in a row, whatever, start to start the season, <laughs> which was pretty impressive. Needless to say, they won the championship that year. <laughs> but, uh, but Elgin... Elgin could do it all. I mean, you know, right now, I think Wilt has the highest scoring game in history, NBA history, 100. Kobe's next with 81. 81. And Elgin is next with 73. 73. So here's a guy who plays forward. It's got to get the ball from somebody else to score as opposed to just bringing it up himself. And whatever, and uh, not only did he did he score like that. I mean, he was he was an unstoppable six five and a half guy, strong, around the hoop, under, over, around or through, whatever, whatever. I mean, I I used to watch him play on TV, and I used to go out and try to do some of that stuff. You know, I mean, he Elgin, liked the backboard. I tried to do Elgin Baylor's moves. And, yeah, he was a big. He was one I, of the first guys I, on the I, backboard. And I always heard of Connie Hawkins. Well, I never got to see Connie Hawkins because Connie was almost like a ghost. And, um, and then when I got to see Connie Hawkins play and, you know, picking the ball up with one hand and floating the way he did and playing with people, oh. you know, he just hold the ball behind the heads and he had a whole lot of globetrotter tricks. You know, I tried to combine Elgin's game and, and Connie's game to become my game. So Connie would be another guy. So you're going to take him and, uh, one of your forwards, so I'll take, Yeah, I'll take Connie. Connie, I'll take Connie. I'll take Elgin. And then I probably would go Duncan and Malone. Carl Malone. You are old school. <laughs> you, you, you don't like a lot of that team. Put the, let's, put, let's put it on. Put the uniform on. Huh? All right. 
I like your team. I, I see where you're coming from. I know from. who you're going to take. No, no, I'm with you. I, who you are you know, going to take? Well, you know, I got to have Larry. Okay. You know, so competitive. Okay. I got to have Larry. I got to keep hope alive. You know. Um, <laughs> I like Carl Malone. I mean, I, I probably would take him. We got an overlap there. Yeah, we got a little bit of overlap All there. Right. I like him. Right. Who else you got? Um, David, see, I would, I, I, you I would, David Bush? No. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. Although the man did play two sports. Got to give him credit for that. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. Chuck Connors a, did too. He's a good player. <laughs> the rifle man. Um, I like Larry. I probably... Yeah, I, I, I see. I get caught up in the guards, and I, I may have to put Magic at forward, but I'm going to stay Magic at the guard. He'd be one of my guards. Oh, we're not going so to the guards. Yet. I go first. You got. Um, you still owe me another forward or two forwards. You got Bird and Carl Malone. Well, I would pick you. Oh, thank you. There's no question. Smart man. Okay. Yeah. It was how to treat a guest well, right? Well, you got to go there. And then, yeah. and then LeBron. LeBron. No, I put LeBron on the backcourt, but I also James Worthy. I'm a big James Worthy fan, right. and, and I like his game a lot. I, I think I may have to go there okay. with James on the forward. Okay. He, nobody right, can, that's a good Remember, I'm thinking, you, I, I, I know you like the rebounding, but I like the running. Yeah. And if I get James running down the wing, I'm good. I know he's going to finish for mm -hmm. me. So I like him a lot. Great pick. Um, Great I think pick. one more pick. I'm, I, I don't know. It's, what, I, how about Chuck is more of a guard, though, than a forward? Um, but I'm thinking Sam, maybe Sam Jones. No, he's guard, too. Guard, too? I have a check on forward. 26,000 points. Eight championships, seven championships. Yeah, I'm thinking there's another forward that maybe I like. Rick Barry? Well, if Rick was here, I would have to take him because he'd kill me. <laughs> but there was a... He was, Let me tell you, yeah, Rick was Rick a, was an assassin. And if you don't believe it, <laughs> yeah. Rick could do it a million ways. Oh, yeah. also, and nobody would ride his team more, too. He expected a lot from him and his team. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on airplanes with Rick. So yeah, I'm going to throw Rick in there. i got to throw right, Rick yeah, in there next year. Yeah, I like don't Rick, forsake, James Worthy. Let's not forsake Rick. Rick, James Worthy, I'd take you and I'd take Duncan. Yeah, I'd take those four forwards. All right. Not the guys you named, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you took Malone. I, I took Carl Malone, yeah, it's one of them. And I thought you took Duncan. Bird. Oh, I did <laughs> take Bird, yeah. <laughs> I took Bird, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you got to go with, we got team for yeah. Now you can only get I two guards. Five, yeah. You can only get two guards now. Well, I know where my three guards are. My first pick, <laughs> I know where my first pick is. You can take three guards. I said, uh, you got to get two. You got six points. I know who your first guard you're going to pick is. There's no question from Milwaukee. You can just throw him out there already. I know I can see the way you're going. Oh. Uh, I know you're going with Oscar. Yeah. No of course. Oscar. Of course. I got Oscar and I got Michael. I got Oscar and Michael. See, I get four. Right. <laughs> Oscar and Michael. See, he's studied my... A cheat sheet right there. <laughs> I'll take Magic. And that last spot. Jerry or Tiny? What do you guys think? Or Iceman? I'm going to leave that spot open. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, gonna, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make them try out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start See, with. See, still got it. Right? I'm gonna start with Magic because that's my coach on the floor. There you go. 
So I always got to start with him. And you okay. know something, only until recent, but I'm going to take LeBron. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to take yeah. Michael. And I'm going to take Tiny because I want to run. And Let's nobody see. can catch him. And he's a Brooklyn guy. And, you know, Brooklyn guys are Brooklyn guys. Ah, Bronx. Yeah. So Bronx. like that. Bronx. Um, you have a head coach? Bronx. In Brooklyn, you know where the, you know where the <laughs> you know where the ball. You you went to Brooklyn. Tiny, like, you know Bronx. you went to Brooklyn to play. Though. Tiny, yeah. Oh yeah. So did he? <laughs> now he he relishes the Bronx. Don't don't make him a Brooklynite. It's okay. So we, we went to high okay. school, but yeah. Um, but Tiny was he was tough. Yeah, Tiny was awesome. Every ounce. Only guy to lead the league in scoring and assists. So he's, and one of my favorite players to watch, as was Iceman. Oh. Uh, there's certain guys I like watching, and if I had to pay, I'd pay to, pay to see him play. Tiny and Ice would be two of those guys. Do you have a coach? Uh, let's see. Well, my, my most fun years were the years when I was coached by Kevin Lockery. And those were my three years with the Nets. The, the every Yankee before, Cunningham afterwards, Matt Gukas afterwards, more all business and lockery, I really just enjoyed playing for him. And uh, so uh, he would be able to coach my team. Lockery. Yeah, yeah, he would be able to coach my team. Yeah. yeah. I'm going with Pat Riley on that, but um, you know, I like, I like his business approach to the game. Um, you played one-on-one. <laughs> Tommy. You played, I'm just going to ask you one last thing, and then we'll open up everyone. But okay. You played one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know if you, remember, if you guys will remember that, the one-on-one -on -one with you and Kareem. Yeah. Yeah, that was a setup. <laughs> um, but it was fun. I was all right until I, I got wired. And when I got wired, and they kept going around with the, uh, the, uh, spandex to get the wiring and stuff done. So they were doing that. And at some point, I mean, I was just like getting choked. <laughs> but I couldn't really? take it off. And then I tried to wear these gloves, hot hand gloves. Take, had to take them You're off. an entrepreneur, though. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was a business deal for us. So after <laughs> I got down like nine to nothing, I just got to get a couple of dunks off in here to balance it out because <laughs> there's no way I'm winning this. Kareem's game. tough. No but way I'm do you, this do you game. like that setup though? Just looking back on it, like would you, wouldn't you like? Would it, do you see that kind of? Would it be kind of fun to see that setup go forward? It, it's happened a few times, one-on-one, uh, one-on-one -on -one basketball, and it was funny because artist Gilmore comes over to me, should let me play Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> you play who I played because uh, he played Connie, he played Connie Hawkins, and. Uh, that would have been better. I, I agreed with him, but Cream and I, Cream and I, were like the showcase guys. So one-on-one -on -one basketball uh, on a stage, it's never going to replace five-on-five. Five, but I think with a small audience, like if you got a thousand people, and they were really diehard basketball fans, and they had their favorite players to go in there and, and do one-on-one. -on -one. But I don't, I don't think it translates uh, that well to the major audiences. Because basketball is a team game. Yeah, I like the two on two maybe, or the three on three setup could be kind of fun. Two on two, three court. on three. And then, and now you can get a little bigger stage. Yeah. But never going to be the main stage. Yeah. 
I don't think it would be the main stage. Uh, well, there's some questions from the audience. We'll start right in front. All right. First of all, all thank right. you, Mr. Steiner and Mr. Irving, for being here. This is just such a big pleasure, I think, for everyone in this room. It's yeah. just such an honor. Appreciate you guys being here. And for, we for appreciate real. you. Thank you so much. Um, throughout your career, which you had a long career and a lot of milestones, but is that one particular memory that, as an old saying goes, I remember that moment until the day I die. Is mm. there that one particular moment yeah. that in your career that's something that you will never forget that just yeah. like, you yeah. know, Yeah, as, as milestones go, <clears throat> the, uh, the 30,000 point, you know, in the 30,000 point club, uh, uh, there were only two guys there. Uh, so Kareem and Wilt were the only two to score 30,000 points when I uh, had that accomplishment. And it was my last game, my last season at home. So we're playing the Indiana Pacers. And uh, in that year, <coughs> from 37, and uh, I'm like the third option on the team. But I was still in the starting lineup. And I was playing uh, two guard because Andrew Tony had gotten hurt and didn't come back. Doug Collins, Andrew Tony. So I was in that two guard spot, which was kind of like the um, scary spot to, to play. <laughs> uh, and I'd been playing small forward all my life. right? So uh, Matt Gukas is coaching. And um, the guys are like, all right, we're going to feed you the ball tonight. <laughs> I'm like, really? It's like the last game of the season. <laughs> so uh, we're playing the Pacers. They're like feeding me the ball. I needed like 31 points, right? So they're feeding me the ball, and I'm, I'm scoring and feeling really youthful, even though I'm the oldest guy on the floor. So I had like... 21 at halftime and then we start the second half and you know they're setting me up we're actually winning the game too I got 21 we're winning the game third quarter so late in the third quarter <coughs> Indiana is like they're <laughs> they're like they're trying to deny this milestone because <laughs> they're like an old ABA franchise, you know. So, I mean, they're kind of in it, but, you know, they, they, the guys, Indiana, you know, they, they knew me pretty well. So they're sending two guys over. Every time I got the ball, they're sending two guys over. And my guys are saying, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, you know. So it was, it was kind of funny because just not my nature when two guys are on me just to think shot first. I always think play first. So I just remember this like it was yesterday. I, I get the ball on the baseline, and two guys are guarding there. My teammates are saying, shoot it. And I got like 29 at the point. This is in the third quarter. <laughs> so I take the jump shot, and it sails, and it goes in. You know, And area, the building like erupts, because it was my 30,000th point in my, in my pro career. And, uh, and it, was a, it was a milestone. That, uh, that night was uh, tuxedos and tennis shoes night. Uh -huh. It was the last home game. And we were going into the playoffs because we ended up uh, playing Milwaukee in the playoffs. But uh, the, uh, they, so they stopped the game, presented me with the game ball, blah, 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 blah. And then we, um, 
we play, we, we resume play, so I score a couple more buckets, right? So I actually go to 30,004. So Maddie takes the lineup out, I don't know why, and we're up like 12, 15 points. Indiana makes a comeback. <laughs> Next thing I know, Indiana's ahead, oh. and you know, the significance of winning the game wasn't going to change our playoff position, but uh, he tried to put everybody back in the game, but it was too late. So we ended up losing the game. So the milestone happened on a night in which we lost the game, but nonetheless it happened, and it was just one of those moments. Out of all those moments, just to answer your question, that much, year though, I want to ask you spe something special happened. That, yeah. that okay. year though, Charles Barkley's rookie year was your last year. His third year. We we played three years. That was his third year. Yeah. How we was played, it playing with Charles? Years. I mean, was what was that like? Because well, you know, you're you're Charles. Charles. Two different kind of characters here. Yeah, yeah, we are. But you know, basketball is basketball. I mean, you just you just. Uh, I mean, I was like a freight train. He was like a runaway freight train. <laughs> <laughs> so so just from the first day of practice, um, he would he would grab a rebound, and we always get the ball over the cheeks or Tony, run the fast break, and Charles would just take off. <laughs> He'd just take off and, and uh, you know, we knew he was a special talent, you know, right, right from day one. Uh, Billy stayed one season uh, with Charles and then Matt Gukas had him the next two seasons. And uh, Billy's personality would have had a much different effect on Charles than Matty's. Because Maddie was just kind of laid back, whatever you guys want to do. And, uh, you know, if we wanted to meet the team in Chicago, he was okay with that. You know, whereas Billy was just more of a driving force and whatever. So those last, those last two seasons, I think Charles kind of really took advantage <laughs> of it being a little more liberal. Yeah. And, um, you know, as you know. He was also a talker on the bench. You know, coach put me back in. <laughs> it just seemed like a couple of times I, I think, wow, he's telling the coach to put him back in, or he, well, was, he was a, he was a all, all of that, all of that, all of that, and some. But he always performed. Yeah, and he performed at uh, a really, really high level. And I think he, even though he played for Phoenix, he played for Houston. I think he always still relates today to having played for Philadelphia. Yeah, you know his first eight seasons and when he established himself, and uh, you know that's why he's a Hall of Famer because because of those years in particular. No question. Yep. Yeah. I just want to say that you've been my sports idol since I've been 13. 73, 76 years you've been a big role. Really? I've been waiting 40 years to ask this question. <laughs> <laughs> In 74, 75, Bob, what happened against the Spurs to St. Louis? I thought you guys would kill them. Yeah. yeah. You know, things happen. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and I know exactly what happened. Um, and did you see the documentary, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if they told the right story, but um, the uh, the first year we won the championship, which was '74, and we uh, we ended up beating Utah, right? And we came out the next year, and we were like, you know, all systems go. I mean, it really was. We were a young team. Uh, we played hard every night. Uh, we wanted to have the best record, and we had the best record. 
but we really wore ourselves down before the playoffs. And when the playoffs came, and uh, you know they're throwing Maurice Lucas and Marvin Barnes and Freddie Lewis and Bron Boone, and uh, that, that they, I mean they had a they had a really good team. I mean we we probably beat them. We probably played them twelve times during the year and won ten times. I mean we just we dominated the team. But uh, we were literally a tired team uh, going into the playoffs and got knocked out. And then the next year, I remember the last month of the season, because Kevin uh, was a lot wiser as a coach and we were all smarter as players. And he says, um, I either want you not to play, or if you're going to play, you're only going to play one quarter. And I was, I was leading the league in scoring. I was averaging like 29 points a game, leading the league in scoring. And, and I said, all right, I'll play at one quarter. You know, so as it turned out, <clears throat> I don't know whether I won it or not, but I think my league, my average went from 29 to 27 in the last month because I only played the first quarter. And, uh, and, I mean, we were rested up and that 76 season, uh, we had no problems getting through the playoffs. I mean, we had challenges, but uh, Denver was the big challenge, and they had beaten us eight out of 12 times. But uh, we came out ready, and I remember that opening series in, in Colorado, and uh, the for, we got a split, and the first game, let's go 48 points. 48 points. <laughs> And, and hit the game winner. And then the next game, it was 45, maybe 45. So I was real rested. I mean, I had been playing one quarter, so there's something about rest. And when you hear coaches talk about resting players and so on, so believe me, it's for real. It's for real. There's nothing like the some, old ABA, though. But oh, there's great. some players who, they're like, I don't want to rest because, you know, the stats and, and the agents and so on yeah. and so forth. But uh, I'm just like this gentleman, been, a, been my idol for a long, long time. And I remember becoming a basketball fan the night that you scored the 63, mm. listening to the transistor radio. John Sterling called the game. <laughs> so they did a documentary on that called The Doctor Makes a House Call. And Lou Carnesecco was Mike. Every other word, beep, 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 beep. It was, it was fascinating. So question number one. Did you, were you aware that they, that was one of the first documentaries that I recall ever seeing, a sports documentary? Mm. And with the last documentary, which was spectacular, mm. you know, watching you drive on New Hyde Park Road, yeah. you go to Island Garden all the time, we're passing that thing. Yeah. When you dunked at the end, was that planned? Like, had you dunked before that, or was this just spontaneous and you just did it? Because that was the coolest scene that everybody went, whoa, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, it wasn't planned. Uh, what happened was I had sat in that gym and we were, we were interviewed on tape and I was sitting on a stool like this. Four hours? Four hours. So uh, they were like, well, we want you to throw a couple down. I was like sitting on a stool like this, right? <laughs> I got my gym shorts on in the whole day. So I'm out there, so I'm trying to stretch and, and uh, loosen up. And really there was nobody to play because nobody else was was in the gym. So I went in there a couple times and uh, 
was trying to feel my way around the rim just to really see. I didn't know whether I could dunk or not. You know, I thought I, thought I could. And this was, uh, I was already 62, 63, 62, 2012. Yeah. So, um, so then they, they did the freeze frame. And, uh, and I didn't know they were going to end it on that because I actually I did dunk the ball and it was kind of, you know, it, rattled, it rattled a little bit. <laughs> uh, but um, no, it wasn't planned and it probably wasn't the ideal circumstances for, for, for dunking the ball. But it was fun. Yeah, it's all good. How about a little guy right there with the red shirt? Who what? My favorite teammate? My favorite? Yeah. Let me think about it. I think um, I had a few teammates who I, who I really liked. And, um, but my favorite is the guy I, I roomed on the road for seven years with Steve Mix. And, and Steve, used to, Steve used to always kind of loosen me up because he was a loosey-goosey guy. You know, he was singing all the time. I'm a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he loosened me up, and I tightened him up. So, so we really, uh, we really were, were good buddies, and, and his daughter's my goddaughter as well. It's a good player. Now adult, yeah. And it was so ironic that the year we uh, finally got over the hump and won the NBA championship after three failings, um, he was on the Lakers. So he knew he was gonna win. I was gonna win. I was like, I can't cheer for you, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Steve. Steve was my buddy, and uh, I had Willie Sojourner my rookie year, and my uh, my first two years, and then my first two years with the Nets. Um, and we were cool. And Al Skinner and I were very cool and still friends today. But but Al Skinner. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, Steve gets the nod. Any other questions? Yeah? Unless you think you've only been an inspiration to us old guys. I didn't tell my grandson we were going tonight. And uh -huh. I laid down, I said to him, you know, this guy Steiner sometimes gets real good uh, ball players in uh, to do interviews. And I said, if you had your choice of any baseball player, basketball player, active, retired, that you'd like to see tonight, who, who would you like to see there? He came up with that? Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> to get him on TV. <laughs> what am I thinking about? <laughs> that's a good thing. That's good, and that's a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah. How old are you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I have a son who just turned fourteen yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Irving. Yes. Um, I know you played college at UMass. How hard was it your decision to make to join the ABA instead of the NBA when the ABA was brand new coming in and they obviously came after you because the stars, you know, to get the ABA going, if you understand what I'm trying to say, yeah. how hard of a decision was that for you to join the ABA and not the NBA? Well, the first year of the ABA was 1967, and uh, so I joined in 1971. Okay. So it was only in the fourth season of okay. the ABA, and 1971, uh, the NBA started in 46. So, you know, it was still young too, 
older than the ABA. <laughs> but um, my, my uh, the inquiry into the ABA um, started as strictly an exploration of the deal, you know, what it would be, what it encompassed, who the people were, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and we actually had a meeting uh, in Philadelphia, which was strictly going to be an exploratory meeting, uh, with every intention of going back to school and playing one more season and coming out as a, uh, a senior and going into the NBA draft. Uh, the NBA did not have a, uh, a way for underclassmen to enter the league. ABA was the only one doing that okay. uh, during that time back in uh, 1970. Um, so, so it turned, it was exploratory for the first day and it got real serious and we decided to spend the night in Philadelphia and continue the conversation the next day. And the next day, uh, basically they just came with an offer that we couldn't refuse. Um, and it just changed everything. Because I, I, you know, at that time, um, probably, I ain't gonna say the last thing on my mind was, was becoming a pro, but I was as surprised as anyone that an offer like that would be put on the table because the, uh, the compensation from the ABA was really parallel with what Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain had fought so hard for two years earlier. Mm -hmm. And those guys were the all-time best of their eras. Yes, so uh, it was an offer that couldn't be refused. A couple more. Yeah. Sports Academy, <laughs> 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 the car, you yeah. the board, it was turquoise and Cheo yeah. as you came out. That was like yesterday. 1974. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, what was it, an ambassador or Pacer? It was a Matador. It was an AMC Matador station where the yellow was the I don't know if they called it a Matador. <laughs> I don't think it was a Matador. And that's a collectible now. Probably. I ended up giving it to my brother-in-law. <laughs> well, one year, one year was a Pacer. Did it? Did pay, was it? This was definitely a station wagon. Okay. All right. But I think it was an ambassador. Could be. Yeah. Could be. You came out. A matador. Did he have warrants? Did he have horns on it? I had an afro with him. But you know, you're right. I, I would go to cook at Kutcher's every summer and uh, hang out up there. It was really nice family, good place to hang out, and a uh, nice little ride up to the Catskills. Amazing how many players bad. went up there. Wasn't bad, yeah. Some cool players. Well, yeah. You had your hand up before? I, I was helping him. Oh, okay. You were helping him? <laughs> All right, let's get somebody else. Uh, Gentlemen. you one of the best dunkers in the game, um, what's your take on the um, dunk contest? The dunk contest? Yeah. Okay. Um... Well, uh, I remember losing a dunk contest because I missed. 
So I'm still a little salty when you get replacement dunks. Because <laughs> I think I would have beat Larry Nance that day. I was ahead and everything, and I just missed. Um, but oh, good for him. So I, I think the, uh, yeah, I think last year was sensational. I mean, the kid, he just came with that. That was one of the best, the best uh, shows ever. And, and the way the stage, the way it was staged and the, the, the dunk off or whatever, and what he came through with was, was outstanding. And it was, it was like perfection. So, so I'd like to see perfection instilled in it. And, uh, you know, if you miss, I don't, I don't see replacement dunks. Um, the clock, getting the, getting the X number of dunks in a, in a certain period of time, um, it makes a lot of sense. And it, call, it forces a certain type of pressure uh, on the player, especially if they haven't achieved what they're really trying to achieve at a certain time. Um, but it would be nice if the big guns got in, you know. I mean, the, the star power. Because at one time, you know, Michael and Dominique and right on down the line, you know, you had star power in there and, and they don't have the star power. And now it's almost like there's a stage being set to allow somebody to rise to the occasion and become noticed. But even though uh, you've had, uh, after Blake Griffin, I guess, you've had players who didn't have the big names, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily translate into their playing the next year and, and being established as a star there, a slam dunk champion. It's kind of like a one and done. So, so getting the big guys back in it would make it a lot more interesting for the fans and for the former players, too. And one last. Okay. How you doing? Hey. Yeah. From Long Island, we okay. watching you when I was much younger. Uh, okay. Drove by Centennial Park all the time. Oh, yeah. Big Red was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just say Pittsburgh is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Another good thing. Um, but I was wondering, um, what, what, who was the player that was the most difficult for you to play against? Yeah. Uh, well, everybody appears from New York, right? So y'all really love this one. But uh, Bernard King, mm -hmm. the most difficult player for anybody to play against. You know, not just me. And it's not to take anything away from the greatness of those, the Marcus Johnsons, Larry Birds, I mean, the great forwards we had to play against. But Bernard King, uh, he was like, I don't know, man, he was just like the devil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get on that court, he, he'd have this look, like the game is on, and it's my game. And when he, when he played for New York, when UB Brown was coaching him, and I look over there, I see the same look on Yubi's face. Yubi's like, I'm giving it to my guy every time down. And nothing y'all can do about it. Put two guys on him, three guys on him, whatever. And, uh, but, he was, but he was awesome. And, and, He's uh, a machine. And, and his, uh, in his prime, before he got hurt, he was still good after he came back from, from the injury. But uh, from beginning of career uh, right on through, uh, he was always toughest matchup. 
Would you agree with that? I may have to change one of my forwards. Yeah, he tends to slip through the cracks. Yeah, <laughs> because Bernard has this thing like... Because he plays with so many teams. And he also but, has this thing like if he gets to a spot, he's like, yeah. I don't care who's guarding me. If I get to this one of these nine yeah. spots, I, I'm automatic. <laughs> he's like nine spots. <laughs> he has these nine spots. He draws yeah. these X's. And he had six spots. Nine. <laughs> nine spots. If you get to one of the nine spots, that's it. It's over. It's over. I mean, it yeah. is feathery touch. I mean, whether it's four feet, 14 feet, whatever. I mean, this, I mean, he, really, he, really, yeah. really, uh, he really was special. You went old school on me tonight, though, he man. Special. You went yeah. old school on me. Yeah. Connie Hawkins, I mean, Elgin Bell. I know. I'm like, man, I, I want to go hoop right now. Uh, <laughs> 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 we got another guy what with the Nets jersey. What, what? Uh, well, I mean, Stephen Curry is superb to watch. Uh, Durant, Westbrook as a as a combination. Uh, LeBron is LeBron is, LeBron is a master of the game, and uh, you know the Miami years aside, when it was Bosh and Wade and, and LeBron, you know you could put LeBron on any team. He's gonna he's gonna make the other players better, and he's gonna continue to grow his game at the same time which is, you know, just makes him an amazing player. And, uh, you know, he'll go down as all-time, one of the all-time best. He'll be in the top five. Um, I like watching uh, Chris Paul play. Uh, he's a treat. I love watching the Spurs. The Spurs. I live in Atlanta, so I get a chance to see the Hawks play. Uh, they're probably, the Sixers and the Hawks are probably the games that I'll go to live. And uh, maybe six Hawks games, six or eight Sixer games during the course of the year. So, uh, so I so I still enjoy watching basketball, although I'd rather be spending my time playing golf. <laughs> what is important? What, is, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does take a lot of your time now? What's what's important to you these days? Well, you know, we manage our brand. We have Dr. J Enterprises uh, LLC, and. Uh, we do a lot of uh, collaborations with uh, different types of businesses, you know, in the medical space, in the technology space, in the educational space, and uh, continue to look for opportunities to attach our brand in a positive way where we make that company either bigger or appear to be bigger and, and uh, open some doors for them that they can open for themselves. And those become opportunities for us uh, with that collaboration. and. Uh, so between that and uh, the family time, I mean, I have four sons, three daughters, five grandkids. And uh, so we're, we're full in that department. <laughs> Got a lot going on. And, uh, and charity? That, as, Is there a charity? Uh, as, yeah, Salvation Army has been my pet charity all my life. So we did a big benefit for them back in September at a golf event in Philadelphia, and they were the main beneficiary. So. You don't hear a lot of athletes say Salvation Army. Was, is it something, what brings you so close to that? Yeah, hour? when I was uh, nine or ten, uh, I got invited to go inside out of the cold in the park and play in an indoor center that was at Atlantic Avenue in Hempstead, Long Island. It was the Hempstead Salvation Army. And my coach, Don Ryan, who was about 19 at the time, uh, is still coaching those kids. You know, out of Hempstead, they call them the Hempstead Dons. 
Well, and Don is, uh, what, 74 now? 74, still looks like he's about 54. And, um, you know, I had the Salvation Army banner behind me when I went in the Hall of Fame. And Don was there and multiple things over the years. I've always kept the Salvation Army, you know, near and dear to my heart and their cause and their mission. And, and back in the day, it used to be not for ourselves, for, but for others. And now it's doing the most good. So, uh, so if everybody here, if you like me, hopefully you like the Salvation Army when they come calling. You know, you do a little something for them. You're a loyalist, you. though. Huh? You are old school loyal. Just uh, what'd you expect? I'm just, I'm just kind of, just kind of, you know, just kind of get my arms around it. But yeah, you know, I always come with an empty mind. And we, I've known you for a bunch of years, but. Mm -hmm. When I really look at the way you operate over all these years, there's a lot of easy roads you can take, but you're very loyal, like even Ray Wilson, your high school coach, yeah. all the way through. Erwin yeah. Wiener, we have covered a lot of territory. Yeah, we today. have. Yeah. Yeah, we left a lot out, but yeah. you know. We'll have to get you back. <laughs>